Hello, good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight for our, I guess, can I call it biannual Q&A session, right? Once per semester. So tonight, we have a pretty good slate of questions that was submitted by people like you. Some of you submitted questions. I'm not sure where they all came from, uh, but we'll do our best to, uh, to give you the Bible's answers to those questions. Uh, we will give you a chance to talk a little bit tonight, too, and so we have uh, Quaid with the microphone. We come around with the microphone, not so that everybody else in here can hear you, but so that our people on live stream can hear you. Thank you for joining us via the live stream tonight. All right, we're going to jump right into the questions, and um, what we'll do is throw the question out to the group. No pressure, but if you want to contribute, you've got a thought about uh, the question that is asked, please feel free to raise your hand and Quaid will come over with the microphone and then we'll kind of tie everything up at the end of the question, then we'll just move on to the next one. If you have follow-up questions, related questions, even unrelated questions, feel free to answer, uh, ask those as well. All right, here's the first question we received for tonight. Are all sins equal in God's eyes? And if yes, why are some viewed as worse than others. All right, all sins equal in God's eyes. If that's true, why are some viewed as worse than others? Anyone have any thoughts about that? Anything pop into your head? We got Micah up here, Quaid. Um, a sin is deserving of hell but I'm, I'm not too sure that every sin is equal. You can clarify. All right. No, I, that's a good start. I see a hand over here. Gabe, if you want to just pass the microphone up to him, that'd be great. Expanding on what he said, the idea is not every sin is equal, but one sin is enough to basically sort of say you're, you're not blameless. You are in sin. Okay. I'll, I'll just kind of... I think everybody could hear that, but just in case you couldn't, uh, Gabe made a really good point. He said, uh, sins are probably not all equal, but every one sin is enough to say that you are no longer holy. Uh, that actually comes right from James chapter 2, verse 10, where James wrote this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So yes, very good. John in the back. Owen. Aha. Uh, I think I would, from what I have kind of taken is, it kind of depends on what you're talking about in particular. If we're talking about, you know, heaven or hell, then yes, all sins are equal. Because as you said, from James, one sin is breaking, breaking all of them. In terms of why in society we'd say some are worse than others, for example, murder versus stealing, mm -hmm. I think that comes down to more of societal impact rather than the actual spiritual impact. Spiritual impact is all the same, but societal is different, therefore we hold different. Whether or not the way we treat sin societally is necessarily correct to how, how am I trying to go with this? I guess I'll put it this way. It as far as spiritually, they're all equal. As far as society, it kind of depends on what both inherent and the more specific Require, not requirements, tastes of the society? Is that the best way to put it, maybe? Okay, I think there's some truth to that. Like, every culture, every, uh, every group of people is probably going to have different thoughts about what punishments for certain crimes should be, right? Jacob? Yeah, um, I guess I'm not sure that 
sins are really all that I I don't know if they're all that different. I guess I'm thinking of like times when the Bible is differentiated between them. And I know that the Bible does make a statement about sins against the Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, Correct. That's the one I that I think I can't remember the. Yeah. So uh, it's a fancy name. It's called obduracy, the hardening of the heart. The sin against the Holy Spirit really is the same thing as unbelief. And so ultimately the Bible does list unbelief as the one unforgivable sin, right? The sin against the Holy Spirit. So yeah, that's a little bit different. I'm going to follow up just a little bit because I, I, all the thoughts were good. I, th- I think starting with the idea that, that from, from God's standpoint, for you to stand before God, every sin equally condemns and every sin is equally forgiven in Jesus. I think that with that one exception that we just talked about, all sins are forgiven by Jesus on the cross. All sins stand between us and God and, and need to be forgiven. But the consequences for sin, what happens after we sin, that can be vastly different. And I think we can all agree with this too. Even from a spiritual standpoint, there are some sins that pose a greater risk for our faith than others. Right? And, and I think that's exactly where, what maybe this question was trying to get at. And with that thought in mind, I wanted to read one, one section for you from Scripture. It, it's not a pleasant section to read, um, but I think it, de- it demonstrates the danger of downplaying the seriousness of sin. I guess I'll say it that way. Um, and hopefully what it does for you too as we read through it is just highlight what a wonderful blessing it is that we have a Savior, Jesus, who went to the cross for, for all sins. Because Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I'm going to start in verse 26 uh, to 31. So the Bible does differentiate between sins of weakness, things that we do because our sinful nature gets the better of us, and deliberate sins. All right, sins that we commit even when we know better. And so here's what the Bible says. Again, these are a little bit frightening, these words, but it doesn't diminish or take away from what Jesus has done. Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more? How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God." And the point of that passage is is pretty straightforward. It is, if I look God in the face and say, It doesn't matter to me what you've done for me, all the blessings that you've given me, particularly the salvation that's mine in Jesus. I'm going to do what I want to do and what you say doesn't matter. That poses a pretty good danger for our faith. And again, the point is to take sin seriously, to recognize there's only one place to get rid of it and that's at the cross of Jesus. And thankfully, that's where Jesus paid for, for all of those sins. But, but again, I think that comes into play when you're talking about this question. There is a little bit of a difference between sins when it comes to the danger that they pose for our faith. Does that make sense? All right, good. Great question. Thank you. I'll turn it over to Vicar for question number two. Yeah, so following the same format here, I'll throw out the question and then open it up to you all. In addition to praying for God's guidance and discipline, 
What recommendations do you have for eliminating things that distract you from prioritizing God? Pursuit of friends, relationships, career goals, etc. Anybody? Initial thoughts? Uh, praying for God's guidance and discipline. I'd say one thing that really helps is using your fellow Christian brothers and sisters for accountability. Like really being open and honest with what you're struggling with and leaning on them for help when you need it. Can I see your hand up here? Joel? Um, I was thinking of the parable of the sower, um, and especially for America, is avoiding getting too cluttered in this life, um, just filling up your lives with too many plans, too much of everything, um, and then you won't have any time. So just like having that free time to be able to choose God or something, I don't know. Excellent. Kelly over on the left. Look at Quaid. Got your step counter on tonight, Quaid? <laughs> so maybe kind of obvious in Sunday schooly, but spending time in your Bible and in the Word and taking time to engage and understand it um, to help you learn and know um, God's heart and His will for you. And then, yeah, meditating on that, that then it can um, be more in your thoughts and help you shape how you're living your life in other times too. All the way over here, at least. I guess, like, some of the different, like, this is more of a different mindset. Like, when I am feeling overwhelmed and stressed, like, obviously, mainly with school right now, I always take a step back and think, you know, this test, this quiz, this homework is not end-all, be-all. In the end, it's not going to get me into heaven or anything. So I guess changing your mindset about some of the ways that you think about these things is what's helped me in those ways. Last chance. Anybody else? Otherwise, I'll kind of sum up, provide a couple of thoughts of my own. So I think the, you all kind of covered some of the, the practical things that we, I think we're always kind of trying to figure out. And as life changes, it seems like you're always in that position. It's, the, it's kind of a timeless question that everybody's asking throughout their Christian life. And there are some things you figure out, some tricks, and you guys all, I think the busyness is a big one. Um, but as I was thinking about it, I think some of it, also comes from sort of this false like dichotomy we have with life where we don't think about our Christian vocation quite properly like uh, where we think oh there's this stuff I do for God and this is what it means to prioritize God and we sort of divide our life 
in a false way, where prioritizing God can be pursuing friends and relationships and doing excellent and studying extra for that test. All those things can be our prioritizing God by trying to please him in all the things that we do. And I think in my life, that has been sort of the thing, just having the Christian vocation to do, to do all things in the name of Christ to the glory of God the Father. And for me, when, I, when I'm trying to dedicate everything I do to God, then I realize I need the strength and I need the input and I seek out the word and I don't, uh, it's sort of the reverse where you're not trying to find a time or discipline yourself, but um, trying to let, let the gospel flow out in all of your life and not just this like set devotional time I have for prayer and reading the scriptures. I'm just going to follow up on one little thought from, that, from what Vicar just said, and that's just the word vocation. I don't think we teach vocation very well. And, and vocation, when you hear that word, maybe you think your job, right? It just means calling. But, but I think about the people sitting in front of me right now, and I can think off the top of my head of three or four vocations that you have right now that are all the same to God, that you can use it, to glorify God. You are somebody's son or daughter. You are friends to people. You are a student. You might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You might be an aunt or an uncle. You, you might be a cousin. You can just keep going. And some of those you spend more time at than others, but every single one is a position in life that God has given you. And that's what Vicar's talking about when he says vocation. Those don't have to be separated from, okay, here's my God things and here's the rest of my life, but it's all one big package. So, yeah, thanks, Vicar. That was great. All right, let's move on to number three. Number three says this, what should a Christian consider before getting a tattoo? I think we've had this one before, but it's been a few years. Oh, look at everybody's dropping their heads. Like, what? Okay. Well, let me read Leviticus 19.28 to you. That's where I'm going to start, okay? It just says this, Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. <laughs> Case closed, right? <laughs> whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Okay. I think you understand that much of the Old Testament law was written to separate the people of Israel from all other nations, right? Because that was something that the nations around the Israelites practiced, God did forbid the Israelites from having tattoos, right? Unfortunately, there are people who in the Christian church today still use Leviticus 19 to tell you it's wrong, completely biblically wrong. Can I just read the verse before, chapter 19, verse 28 to you? Here's what verse 27 says, Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Okay, so if we're going to follow verse 28 still today, then uh, we should all not be cutting our hair or shaving our beards or anything like that, right? So you have to be careful that you don't pick and choose verses from the Bible to tell you certain things that aren't necessarily true for us New Testament Christians. I do, however, think there's a couple things to think about before you think about... Uh, getting a tattoo. It's not wrong biblically, all right? That, I think we've just established that. But I do think you have to consider other people, and your parents might be one of those other people, right? I mean, to consult with them, to talk with them, so they aren't just like blown away. I think you also have to just think in terms of, um, well, 
do all to the glory of God, right? And that doesn't mean that if you get a tattoo, it has to be a Bible passage or something that comes out of the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, when, when we think about the Bible, I think about First Peter chapter 3 particularly that talks about that our, our beauty, the, our best adornment should be inside and not worrying so much about outside. And again, that doesn't mean you can't get a tattoo or shouldn't get a tattoo. I just think there are things to consider. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that's becoming more and more common in our world is that, that ink is just far more common today than it was 20 years ago or 50 years ago or whatever. So just some things to think about. Anybody have thoughts? I should have let you ask, answer first, but anybody else have thoughts about that? I will not ask how many of you have tattoos because I don't care. I mean, you can have a tattoo if you want to have a tattoo. Delaney, thought. Or follow-up or whatever. I would say also just considering that if it is an outward appearance and someone knows you're a Christian, making sure that it's representative of what you want other people. Yep. Um, that sounds like peer pressure. Like, what you want to convey as, I have the label of a Christian, what is that giving to someone who may or may not be a Christian? Is it something that I want to have on my body forever, too? Right. That's a good thought. Thank you. All right. Let's move on to question number four. Okay. Question four. How do you have a conversation with somebody who was a believer but no longer is? Is it best to do this one-on-one -on -one or with a group of people? And how do you start the conversation? Pretty challenging question. But I'm imagining one that probably is relatively common. I think, I guess from my own personal experiences, a lot of like, I don't know, people that grew up in Christian schools, et cetera, um, they, they kind of like see young Christians as sheep almost that just buy into something and aren't skeptical enough. And so one thing that I like to do is just like address the, you know, like, uh, you know, when you're debating somebody, you want to oh, never talk about the things that you're unsure about or never want to talk about the things that um, might be hard to answer. But I think for somebody who's stepped away from the faith, they have reasons that they stepped away from the faith and they want to see that you are if they want to see that you as a believer are also skeptical and that you also are considering these things. Like, show them that you think about the things that they think about. Like, how would you reconcile, for example, like, how would you reconcile, you know, the creation that we read in the Bible versus creation that's taught in schools? Like, that, that was a pretty big divider in my generation growing up. Nathan? Oh, yes. I, mean, I was just going to say, I would probably approach it just like um, the section where it talks about approaching a fellow believer who's struggling with a sin, where I would go to them one-on-one -on -one first, and if they aren't willing to listen, bring maybe a small group of trusted friends, and then if that still doesn't work, kind of go from there and make it a bigger group.
Um, I definitely think that it should be a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that person. Um, you definitely shouldn't bring a group and try and prove that person wrong or try to debate with them because that's never going to work. Um, the main thing that's really important is just consistently being there for that person and uh, letting you know that you're there for them no matter what. On top of that, uh, I feel like your mindset's got to change a little bit. You can't look at it as someone is just like looking at them as a conversion. You got to look at them as a person. Like even before you go in and talk about the Bible or faith, you want to be their friend first. Mm -hmm. Like it might take a little bit into like getting under their skin almost and getting past the guards they've already set up. But as Nathan said, just being there and being their friend. Yeah, two excellent points. Anyone else want to weigh in? Yeah, I think you guys covered a lot of it really, really well. And I'll just kind of reemphasize some of the things that I heard and that I was thinking as well. And, and a lot of that is uh, just understanding, trying. Every circumstance is going to be so different. And you, and you want to understand how did the transition take place. Like something happened. And usually it's a long-term kind of thing. It's not like one day somebody wakes up and says, yeah, I used to be a Christian, not anymore. Usually... You know, there's a story there and understanding that and sort of establishing that relationship, doing a lot of listening. Um, those were all things that you guys emphasized and that I think is very true. And this one hits close to home for me. And it's one that I've been wrestling with for years and sort of gone through uh, everything that everybody has said. And uh, yeah, just to to love that person. Don't make Christianity or not Christianity the basis for your love. Um, and to just show them Christ and continue praying, continue praying. And uh, yeah, get, leave, it, leave it in God's hands, I think is, uh, that's, that's the best we can do sometimes, even if we, we want more. You see Elisa's hand up here one more time. Thanks, Quaid. Um, this is just kind of a question going off of this one. So I know somebody who's a believer in like, like Christian science, and I guess I'm not super familiar with that. And I guess how would, like just in general, how would you approach a person who's like set in their ways? Like what Christian science is like, they don't believe in Jesus, but they believe, I don't know, they believe in God or something. But um, like how do you, bring up this with somebody who's believing, but not exactly the, like what I feel is the right thing. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I, so there's two, two uh, religions that exist in America and throughout the world that have similar names that are completely different. One is called Christian science and the other one is called Scientology. Christian science is, is there's still, scriptures are read in the Christian science church. The founder, Mary Baker Eddy, 
basically was trying to find a key to the scriptures to unlock health and longevity in life, ultimately maybe even eternal life to stay on earth. And so there's a little misunderstanding of what the purpose of life is, I guess. Um, The good news is when scripture is being used, the Holy Spirit still has a chance. Um, Yeah, to me, and and all of your answers were great, to me everything comes back to the denomination doesn't matter. None of those things matter. What matters is that people know Jesus. Right, And so whatever you can do to just remind them of why you live confidently, why you live with, uh, with hope and, and purpose is because of what Jesus has done, um, that's, the, that's the best thing that you can possibly do. And, and somebody mentioned it before, one of my absolute favorite passages is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We're seed planters, we're seed waterers but God's the one who makes faith grow. And so when we can witness to what Jesus means to us and what he's done, um, the, rest is, the rest is up to, to God to do the changing of hearts. All right, I want to cover just one more. I know we're almost at the end of the time, but, but these are great questions that people submit. Uh, we're going to have a couple extras that will be left over for next semester. So if we didn't get to your question tonight, I apologize, but, but I love having you guys just to chime in and help answer. So here's the question, and uh, I'm hesitant to bring this up because... Ooh, it's a hot topic in the news right now. But here's the question. Christians and religious exemption for vaccinations, what are the considerations and are they or could they be legitimate? All right? So are you aware, let me just start with that. Are you guys aware that there are right now with the mandates for vaccinations, there are religious exemptions that are being written by Christian churches, Christian people to say, yes, it goes against the, the religious beliefs of this person to be vaccinated. Okay, that's where it comes from. So I saw Joey's hand first. So Joey has something to say, which is great. Um, yeah, so this is something interesting because um, my parents are very whatever, and so... They tr- like tried to get a religious exemption, um, and we go to a Wells Church in yeah. Milwaukee, and our pastor wouldn't do it because um, it, I don't know it's not biblical. Obviously, you know the whole point of a vaccination, and I think um, the whole I guess yeah I guess the whole point of getting vaccinated is to help other people, um, maybe even because we're so young, so maybe if we get it, we'll probably be fine, but to help prevent the spread, whatever. So yeah, that's just, I don't know. That was just my personal little story about that. Thanks for sharing, Joey. We got a couple more over there. Delaney and Don, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Eric. I guess to me, it, it just feels like it's not super connected, like my answer is like, from what I know about the Bible, this isn't really, you know, an essential thing. And I I understand maybe why a Wells pastor wouldn't do it because it's not something that, that we can honestly say is a religious belief. I mean, can I understand why people would ask for it in this context? Well, okay, sure. But I just, I don't know if the religious exemption route, even if some people maybe feel like that's something they they really want to do. The synod really doesn't have an obligation to listen to that. 
it's just, it doesn't line up biblically, I guess. So, you know, the religious exemption doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So from, from, from what I've heard, and, and you can take it over there while you're going, um, the religious objections, the religious exemptions that people are applying for in general, this is probably not true across Christianity, often have to do with either a faulty idea or at least as far as I could tell, reading something that maybe doesn't completely apply. So there have been rumors about the vaccinations, there has been research, and some of it has been connected to uh, fetal cells, right? So the cells of aborted children. And so there are Christians who will say, if any material was used that came from aborted children, I refuse to have a vaccine that is part of that. So there is, at least from the outside, and, and what I've heard is that, that, that wasn't direct, like for, for the, the, the um, vaccines that have been developed for COVID, there wasn't a direct connection with uh, fetal cells. However, they do trace uh, some of the research that they've done back to fetal cells from 15, 20 years ago. So there is sometimes at least a religious point of view that people are saying, I can't do this because I can't get behind something that isn't uh, putting life first. So just, just to clarify that, but go ahead, Delaney, you have thoughts. Uh, my first thought was actually kind of on that, was I can understand seeing from that perspective, because that was like one of my biggest concerns in doing research for myself yeah. personally. Um, and in the research that I had seen, it was like, Oh, over so and so many yeah, years, like right. the cells have continued to grow and continue to divide, and it's not the original cells. So, you know, yes, it stems from that, but that's something that you have to choose for yourself. May I dare to say that? Um, but my other thought here is that God has blessed so many people with talents in academics and in science and in research to do their jobs. And I think if we're worried about things being politicized, that's a whole other conversation, aside from what people are sworn in as doctors and as researchers by law to do, is to do their research diligently. And it goes through so much. I think it's, I can understand the concern, but I also don't think that religious exemption, when it's not biblical, is not an option. And that's, that's my personal thoughts. Yeah. Donovan, go ahead. I want to start with saying, like, I understand there's people that don't want to get it due to personal reasons, but the moment that they bring in their religious exemption to it, it makes me think of the second commandment, which is, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And I really feel like this is a misuse of God's name. And I read on it once and saying it's like, when you use God's name to get your own personal gain, that's when it becomes the sin. And that's what some people do here by putting God's name up front, put a stamp on it, you're just moving past your morals and like using God as an excuse, basically. Alexis, I saw your hand yet. So the science nerd in me is gonna come out a little bit. I had a very similar conversation with my grandpa. He's mm -hmm. Catholic and I don't know that that necessarily matters yeah. in this, but when the vaccine was being developed, he had very similar questions and he asked me as somebody who's young and studying science at the university level, what I thought about it. And so I hadn't heard anything about it. I did a little bit of research and very similar to what's been said. It's really interesting. These cell lines were developed like decades ago and they're sitting in freezers and you're you're growing and growing cell lines. So it, they're so far removed from those babies. Mm -hmm. The next thing that I think about is, you know, 
it's horrible what was done to them, yeah. but we, like, it's not like the researchers asked the moms to abort their babies right. so that these could be used for research. Mm -hmm. I, I believe very strongly that what was happened, like what happened to the children has nothing to do with the fact that now they're being used. And honestly, maybe that's God's way of blessing us. How, think about how many mm -hmm. lives could be saved, you know? And, and I, I'm not saying that that one baby's life was worth it, but I'm saying that, you know, I, I don't know that you can necessarily look at that that way. And then going yeah. back to that, like, it, they're not connected in the aspect that, like, the technology, this mRNA vaccine, the yeah. technology was tested on the cells, but I don't think it was the COVID virus specifically. Right. So a lot of connections just that I thought was interesting. And I don't know, I think maybe that's God's way of providing blessings to the populations in different ways. All right, one more. Jacob has a comment, then we'll just kind of wrap it up so that uh, we don't keep you here forever. Two comments. Politics yeah. are stupid. <laughs> um, second comment, I think these are all valid opinions. It kind of makes me think of when Paul like, was writing about how um, some things might be viewed as a sin while other people might not view that as a sin. Mm -hmm. And... You, you kind of end up in like a splitting hairs situation. Well, is it, is it not? And that, that's just the Bible reference I thought of. It's like... Yeah, I, just to kind of tie everything together, I, I appreciate all the answers. I, 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 Joey, thanks for getting us started with the idea that, you know, there's a part of us as Christians that also has to consider what's the best thing I can do for those people around me, right? Love, love your neighbor as yourself is certainly a Christian principle as well, right? And, and so we think about all of those things together and yet I cannot fault people for making decisions that are right for them. Uh, Donovan, I agree with you that there are a lot of people who I think are, are running God's name up the flagpole to be their reason for not, for not acting in a way that they don't feel comfortable acting. Uh, I do think there are people who legitimately, um, you know, can't, get vaccinated for different reasons and I think we just have to be careful as to, you know, what we're putting on people. Um, yeah, and, and I, I won't use the same word that Jacob did, although I appreciate him saying it. Uh, I wish that health was the number one concern in everything and not politics. And I think you all know that that's kind of what we've run into in this and, and um, you know, there are legitimate reasons, health reasons for people not to do this. Uh, and, and yet, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the seriousness of COVID either because it is serious. A lot of people have died, right? And it, it, it is, it does affect people in ways that, that other things that we've seen in this world don't. Um, so yeah, just, uh, love, love other people, try to understand where they're coming from. And, uh, you know, um, I guess trust that, that, that God has a purpose in all things because he does. That's what he promises. All right, that was kind of a tough one to end on, but it was, it's good to have that discussion. It's good to talk about things like that because you're hearing it, um, and thank you for not even mentioning the name of a certain quarterback from Green Bay. I appreciate that because we didn't need to talk about that. <laughs> All right, let's have a brief prayer, and then we'll have uh, Steve and Nick uh, take us to the end of the service tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the truths of your word. And, and we know that when we dig into that word, Lord, we, we find answers to some of the questions that we, answered to, uh, that we answered and talked about tonight. 
We also know, Lord, that, that not every, every aspect of our lives has a chapter and verse answer in, in your word. And so for those questions, we ask for your wisdom. Give us wisdom to, to, first of all, glorify and honor you in the things that we say, think, and do, and then also give us a heart for other people. You, Lord, love all people, and you want all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Give us that same heart for others so that our actions are in line with being concerned about all people and wanting more people to know the truth about Jesus and ultimately join us for an eternity in heaven. Thank you for our time together tonight. Uh, Continue to bless us as we walk in your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.